In 2004, a 13-year-old boy in Luzerne County, Pennsylvania, got into an argument with his mother's boyfriend. This happened a few days after Thanksgiving. Holidays can be a trying time for anyone. In some cases, they can be especially hard on children who have to split their holidays between parents. That is not a dig at divorced parents. I am a divorced parent. Many families find ways to navigate shared custody, shared holidays, and vacations in a way that alleviates stress and accommodates everyone involved. Sadly, some families struggle year after year, finding it hard to come to a compromise about when and how their children will see each parent. In the case of this young man, it appeared his family struggled with their separation. Matthew lived with his mother. According to statements from both him and his father, there was some discord in the home he shared with his mother and her boyfriend. It was reported that Matthew, who was less than half the size of his mother's boyfriend, shouted some insults, so did the boyfriend, and according to Matthew's mother, he threw a stake at her boyfriend. Matthew denied this, but his mother called the police and had her son arrested for assault. His father hired an attorney and the three of them appeared in court before the end of 2004. Matthew had the misfortune of appearing before Luzerne County Judge Mark Shivarella. The judge asked Matthew if he threw a stake at his mother's boyfriend. He said he did not. And before he or his lawyer had an opportunity to make any statement in Matthew's defense, Judge Shivarella had Matthew handcuffed, shackled, removed from the courtroom, and transferred to PA Child Care Detention Facility. That was a private, for-profit juvenile detention center. Matthew spent almost two months there. The entire time, his father did everything he could to get his son released from juvenile detention. Nothing seemed to work, so he went to the press. On February 9, 2005, reporter Mark Guidish of the Wilkes-Barre Times-Leader published an article about Matthew's situation. In this article, Judge Mark Shivarella said the case was an example of one judge's attempt to help a, quote, delinquent child, while another judge managed the custody issues between Matthew's parents. Calling this kid a delinquent child was bullshit. He had no prior altercations with anyone. He had good grades in school. He had friends. He'd just had a fight with his mother's boyfriend. And according to this article published in 2005, Matthew's mother wasn't even home when the altercation occurred. So this really was a case of he said, he said, as there were no other witnesses besides the two parties involved. Even Matthew's father said he could understand a judge sentencing a juvenile with multiple offenses to a detention center as a way to open his eyes or maybe get him scared straight. But that wasn't the case with Matthew. Their attorney stated if this had been two adults, the most the stake thrower would have been charged with was harassment. There was no injury. This wasn't assault. Yet Judge Civarella sent this young man to what is basically a prison for kids, for something he claimed he didn't do. And even if he did, are you seriously going to send a child away to a detention center for throwing a stake on someone's chest? This case had another layer of complexity because of custody issues between Matthew's parents. He lived with his mother, whom, according to Matthew's father and their attorney, wasn't complying with orders from family court. Matthew was evaluated by a psychologist while he was incarcerated. According to the evaluation, some of which his father shared with Mark Guidish of the Wilkes-Barre Times Leader, both parents engaged in behaviors that were more focused on themselves, their own desires, and not necessarily in the best interest of their child. None of that changes the fact a 13-year-old boy was thrown into a detention center 
after a hearing that lasted maybe 60 seconds for allegedly tossing a stake at a grown man. Five days after the article ran in the Wilkes-Barre Times Leader, Matthew was granted another hearing, something his father had tried to accomplish within days after his son was first incarcerated yet was unsuccessful in securing, even after calling his congressman, state legislators, and Governor Ed Rendell. You probably remember Ed when he was mayor of Philly, ignoring John Pollock's attempts to improve the Philadelphia 911 system after his son Eddie was murdered. None of those phone calls made a difference, but an article in the newspaper that called out the excessive sentence given to this young man got the gears turning. Matthew was released from PA child care facility into the custody of his father. He did return to school, but I'm sure you can imagine how difficult that was for him. He had months of work to make up, which he did, but he wasn't the same. Matthew dreamed he would one day be a pilot. That didn't happen. According to writer William Eckenbarger, who covered this case and others for the Inquirer, by the age of 20, Matthew was still struggling with depression, seven years after his time at PA Child Care Detention Facility. His life was forever changed in ways we may not yet realize, because his mother had him arrested, and a judge decided in less time than it took to read the complaint, this young man needed to be sent away. There aren't dozens of stories like this one in Luzerne County. There aren't hundreds. There are thousands. This story made no sense to me until I discovered why Judge Civarella sentenced Matthew and so many other kids to harsh sentences for what in many cases amounted to someone just being a stupid teenager. Money. There's an episode of Law & Order SVU featuring Swoozie Kurtz as a judge who sends kids to a juvenile detention facility for exhibiting behaviors that weren't even criminal. She did it for kickbacks. It cost the state a lot of money to send kids to private prisons, and some of the money the state of New York paid to detain children lined her pockets. Olivia Benson followed the money, and there was no way Swoozie Kurtz's character could afford to live the lifestyle she did on her judge's salary. But that's TV, that's not real life, even though SVU is known for their ripped-from-the-headlines episodes. That episode was released in 2009, the same year Judge Mark Chivarella was charged with multiple counts of fraud, racketeering, and tax evasion after receiving millions in kickbacks from the co-owners of PA childcare detention facilities. You might think what happened to the young man I described in 2004 is what brought to light Chivarella's despicable practices, but it wasn't. The Juvenile Law Center in Philadelphia filed a complaint five years before that against Judge Chivarella, yet no one did anything until the FBI began investigating him many years later. How was he allowed to destroy children's lives for so long when so many people knew what was happening? Why did the Pennsylvania State Judicial Conduct Board basically ignore an incredibly detailed yet anonymous complaint they received in 2006. Well, because Philly isn't the only city with a corrupt-as-fuck history in the Keystone State. There is a long history of crime, corruption, and the mob running the show in coal towns all over Pennsylvania dating back to the 1800s. Sure, that was over 100 years ago, but the more things change, the more they stay the same. I'm Dina Marie, your host on this week's Twisted Journey. Welcome to Twisted Philly. There's more mischief, mayhem, and nefarious goings-on in the city of brotherly love than Billy Penn could have ever imagined. We've got it all here on the Twisted Philly podcast. True crime, 
haunted history, the coolest and creepiest places to visit. Welcome, Welcome to, to Twisted Billy. Let's talk about Wilkes-Barre. The first thing I need to tell you about this town is you may hear the name pronounced differently. Some people, actually most locals I know, pronounce it Wilkes-Barre. Some people say Wilkes-Barre, and that's a no-no. Forgive me to those of you whom pronounce it that way, but you need to change that up. Then there are other folks who say Wilkes-Barre. I have this weird tick where I add a bit of a soft end to the end of bear. That's not saying that I'm pronouncing it correctly either. It's probably my Delco accent applied to the name of a northeastern Pennsylvania town. I've talked about the history of Wilkes-Barre in previous episodes, so I'm not going to dig too deeply there today. But I do want to talk about the community, the mix of people whom call this city home, their income levels, education, professional opportunities, and unemployment, because I believe all of these factors played a part in what happened in this story. Wilkes-Barre is the 13th largest city in Pennsylvania. It has about 40,000 residents. It is a predominantly white community. And it was built on the backs of European immigrants, including children, in the 1800s as a result of the discovery of anthracite coal. During the coal mining boom, the population there was more than double what it is today. But once the mines shut down, there was less of a reason for people to move to this area and other parts of the Keystone State. The demise of coal mines meant the demise of so many towns in Pennsylvania. It's hard to look at as you drive through some of these areas. There are little towns all over Pennsylvania with what you know was once a thriving downtown. And now they struggle to keep businesses afloat. You see the effects of that in these communities today. The median household income in Wilkes-Barre is about $31,000. Now compare that to the median in Pennsylvania, which is over $57,000. If you look at average single income, not household, it's even lower, at about $17,000. Barely 15% of the community goes on to higher learning beyond high school. There are some families who have lived in this area for generations who are just now seeing the first member of their family graduate high school, and that is an amazing accomplishment. Pennsylvania is experiencing our lowest unemployment rate in over 40 years. It's at about 3.8% right now. The unemployment rate in Luzerne County, where Wilkes-Barre sits, is a little over 5%. And in the town of Wilkes-Barre, it's higher, at almost 6.5%. What do all these statistics mean? It means that for some residents in Wilkes-Barre, it can be really hard to support your family. This is glaringly evident when you look at their poverty rates. Almost 44% of children in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, are living below the poverty level. That number is huge. Close to half the children in this town don't have what they need. When you look at statistics of poor families, I'm thinking you can guess which family group falls into the state's definition of poor. Single moms. Almost 70% of poor families in this town are single mothers. And that guts me because I know how hard it can be when you're a single parent and there is no one else on whom you can rely to put food on your table or keep a roof over your kid's head. Unexpectedly, there is a small population in Wilkes-Barre that are in a different echelon. These are people who are connected, not necessarily connected as in the mob, although there is that too, but connected to businesses, local and state government through generations that in some cases date back to the horrible men who ran those coal mines and made slaves out of the immigrants who worked there. 
The people who owned the mines, ran the mines, owned and ran their workers' lives. And that philosophy was passed down for generations. One man who seemed to believe he could run the lives of others is Mark Shivarella. Mark was born and raised in Wilkes-Barre. He attended King's College there, and after furthering his education in Pittsburgh, where he earned his law degree, he returned to his hometown to practice law in 1975, when he was just about 25 years old. After 20 years as an attorney, he decided to run for judge. And when I say run, I mean the way politicians run for office. Just like politicians, in Pennsylvania, judges campaign with marketing and media blitzes, television commercials, newspaper stories. In 1995, Mark Shivarella raised almost a half million dollars in campaign contributions and pushed an agenda of being relentlessly tough on crime. Increasingly, juveniles are committing serious violent crimes. In a recent 10-year period, the number of murders by teens aged 14 to 17 rose an astonishing 165%. As judge, if given the opportunity to try a juvenile offender as an adult, I will. If you're a teen and convicted of murder, rape, or violent crimes against our children or the elderly, you can expect that I will impose the maximum sentence allowed by law. Mark Chivarella, a judge to protect all of us. One ad in the Wilkes-Barre Times Leader on November 2nd, 1995 read, Mark Chivarella, Democrat for Luzerne County Judge, and it prominently featured his smiling face in a photograph. The ad read, the best judges are lawyers who've tried the most cases and know the law. For 20 years, Mark Chivarella has fought in more than 3,000 cases. Case by case, he's mastered the law. He's sharpened the skills of toughness, competency, and even-handedness you expect in a judge. There were a few more sentences, and then a statement about kids. If you're a juvenile committing a crime, and Mark Chivarella can try you as an adult, he will. Mark Chivarella won't accept plea bargains restricting his sentencing of criminals. The final tagline read, A judge to protect us all. These ads came close to ethics violations when Chivarella said murderers, rapists, and child molesters would be given maximum sentences. Okay, as much as we all hate murderers, rapists, and child molesters, they have to first be proven guilty, then sentenced. But no one seemed to bat an eye over what he said about children. Chivarella won the election, and he was sworn in as a Luzerne County judge in January 1996. Within less than a year, he was appointed juvenile court judge in Luzerne County. So, you're a juvenile court judge. You are going to be responsible for presiding over cases and perhaps also overseeing the entire juvenile delinquency program and operations in your county. One thing is clear. There is nothing you will be doing that is more important than your juvenile court assignment. The opportunity and challenge to you is to do the best possible job you can. How you will do your job will largely determine not only the processing of juvenile delinquency cases in your county, but how well the juvenile probation department does its job. And most importantly, whether the intervention of juvenile court in the lives of juveniles who come before you will promote community safety, victim restoration, and youth redemption, the overarching mission of juvenile justice in Pennsylvania. In the final analysis, how you came to this assignment does not matter. 
but how you do your job will matter a great deal. The basic qualities a juvenile judge should have and cultivate are passion, commitment, and skills. These are the attributes of a successful juvenile court judge. What I just read, and I did read it verbatim, is an excerpt from Chapter 1 of the Juvenile Court Judges Bench Book. It's basically a handbook for newly appointed juvenile court judges. And yes, it actually does say, So, you are a juvenile court judge. I read much of the 304-page bench book because I wanted to understand the expectations of a juvenile court judge, like Mark Shivarella. One of the sections that stood out pretty easily were the do's and don'ts. I think Mark Shivarella got that list reversed. I'm not going to read you the entire list, but here are a few do's that seem self-evident. Approach each case with enthusiasm as an opportunity as well as a duty to achieve the mission of the juvenile justice system, community protection, victim restoration, and youth redemption. In scheduling cases, allow sufficient time for each case without rushing through or even appearing to do so. Treat everyone with courtesy and respect and insist all involved do the same. Treat contact with each juvenile and their family as an opportunity to enable the child to advance in his or her program of supervision, care, and rehabilitation. And then a few don'ts. Don't always assume the juvenile is the root cause of the problem. And don't overlook the importance of positive feedback, not only to the juvenile and their family, but to others involved, like the probation officer, attorneys, victims, schools, etc. Maybe Mark Shivarella was never given a copy of the bench book when he transitioned to juvenile judge for Luzerne County. Perhaps he did receive a handbook and simply ignored it because his first order of business was to let the local high schools know any student who committed a crime on school grounds would be removed from the school and placed in a detention center for at least one month. That was one of his big things. He went to every school every year and told them, if you commit an offense in school, I'm going to put you away. And that was his justification so that when they appeared before him, it didn't matter what the charge was, he'd ask him, were you there when I gave this speech? Yes. Did you hear what I said? Yes. What did I say? You said you put me away. So what do you think is going to happen now? You're going to put me away. You're right. Take him out of here. Shivarelli used the word crime, but in some cases it could be something as simple as one girl arguing with another girl during a volleyball game. Tempers flare and someone throws a ball at someone else. Bam. You're in judges' chambers with Shivarella and you're sent to a juvenile detention facility. According to Pennsylvania's juvenile justice system, During the 1990s, the United States implemented more severe punishments for juveniles who commit crimes. This was a direct reflection of an increase in violent juvenile offenders from the late 80s through the mid-90s, including what happened in Columbine. In 1995, Pennsylvania placed violent felonies committed by children 15 and older in criminal court. Particular offenses were no longer managed by family or juvenile court, but in adult court. And at the same time, the courts in Pennsylvania wanted to protect children who commit crimes. Maybe not those who commit violent crimes, but juveniles overall. And so something called Act 33 was implemented. Act 33 basically said it wasn't enough just to put kids through the juvenile justice system. We needed to provide programs for these children committing delinquent acts, whether it is supervision, care, rehabilitation programs. It was focused on balanced attention that would protect the community would hold people accountable for the offenses they committed, but also look to develop competencies that would enable children to become responsible, productive members of the community and not just wither away in detention. 
there is considerable content in this bench book about youth redemption. It focuses on the idea that juvenile offenders in our state are not bad kids. They have value. They are, and this phrase is a direct quote, capable of change and can earn redemption. The philosophy described in the juvenile judge's bench book was absolutely in place in Luzerne County Orphan Court prior to Mark Civarella's appointment. Luzerne County had a juvenile judge, a man named Chester Morosky, who served the Orphan's Court since 1982. According to William Eckenbarger in his book Kids for Cash, Judge Morosky focused on juvenile rehabilitation instead of punishment. He believed detention centers could do more harm to children than good. His fair and supportive approach towards juvenile offenders was no match, though, for Civarella's zero-tolerance attitude. Judge Morosky continued serving children in Luzerne County as a dependency court judge. His responsibilities included divorce and custody cases, child support, and advocating for the rights of abused or neglected children. It wasn't only the attitude that changed with Shivarella's placement as juvenile court judge, it was the budget. Unlike Miroski, Shivarella believed in placement, detention center placement, boot camp placement, wilderness camp placement, scared straight programs, anything that came close to incarceration of children, regardless of how minor their offense. I was about 14 years old, and I got into an argument with one of my friends, and all that happened was just a basic fight. It was just her word against my word. My only charges were simple assault and harassment, and I didn't even know that charges were pressed against me until I had to go down to the intake and probation and fill out a whole bunch of paperwork. This makes me really question other authority figures and people that we're supposed to look up to and trust. It just really makes me question and not trust other people. I mean, if someone like Judge Chivarella can do this, then it makes me believe that anyone can betray the law. And I don't know. In 2004, the Luzerne County expenses for child placement in detention centers was almost two times the annual budget of $8 million. Judge Mark Chivarella had no problem getting as much money as he needed from the county and the county commissioners to send children to juvenile detention facilities. But Judge Miroski, who was working in dependency court, often had troubles getting programs funded to support children in foster care, provide counseling for families, treatment program for parents who may have suffered from addiction. Judge Miroski's goal was to reunite families, but it was impossible for him to do that without funds. So he complained, formally. In 2005, Judge Chester Miroski sent a letter to the Luzerne County Commissioners. He questioned why money wasn't budgeted for desperately needed services in dependency court when millions were earmarked for juvenile detention. And he didn't mince words. In a quote from this complaint that was listed in William Eckenbarger's book, Judge Miroski said, A reasonable mind might conclude this county places a higher priority on youth who are delinquent because of criminal conduct, while the welfare and needs of dependent children who have been neglected, mistreated, or abused are less important. Instead of being granted the meeting he requested with the county commissioners to discuss this further, Chester Morosky was reassigned. He was sent back to criminal court, far away from the children and families he was so committed to helping. Why? Why would such a beloved and respected judge, someone who cared so very much about the children and the community in Wilkes-Barre and Luzerne County, be marginalized for asking about a budget? because his letter landed on the desk of Judge Mike Conahan. 
Conahan was elected a county common pleas judge in Luzerne County in 1994. He cut his teeth not far from the town of Wilkes-Barre in Hazleton, Pennsylvania, where he spent 16 years as magistrate. Conahan was one of those connected guys. His father had been the mayor of Hazleton for three terms and had strong connections to Pennsylvania politician in Harrisburg. There were also rumors before Conahan was elected judge in Luzerne County in 94 that he had connections to organized crime. Conahan and Shivarella weren't just colleagues, they were friends. And years before Murawski's letter to the county commissioners, the pair worked together to build a private for-profit juvenile detention center. Now, Luzerne County already had a juvenile detention center. The facility was built as a women's prison, and it was in deplorable shape. In the 2014 documentary Kids for Cash, produced and directed by Robert May, you can see footage of this facility. It is disgusting. It looks like something that was long ago abandoned, not an in-use facility to hold kids waiting for trial or transport to a more permanent placement. On the surface, asking the county to build a new and improved juvenile detention facility wasn't an unreasonable request when you considered the conditions at that River Street Center. But the county didn't bite. They weren't interested in spending money on a new facility. They felt the River Street Center was salvageable, and it would certainly be more cost-effective to upgrade an old facility rather than abandon the property and start over with a new detention center. Judges Shivarella and Conahan decided on a different tactic. Mark Shivarella had a friend who was a real estate developer, a man named Robert Merkel. Mark and Rob had been friends since they were teenagers. They'd known each other for decades. Like Shivarella, Merkel left Wilkes-Barre when he attended college and then came back to his little hometown. He started flipping houses. House flipping grew into developing commercial real estate. Rob Merkel also ingratiated himself to Pennsylvania politicians by making considerable campaign contributions. While I was reading William Eckenbarger's book, Kids for Cash, I literally screamed, holy shit, out loud. Jeremy was in the other room and I yelled over to him, you are not going to believe this. Wilkes-Barre real estate developer and builder Rob Merkel gave over $110,000 to Governor Ed Rendell's campaigns over a period of 10 years. During that same time period, Rob Merkel was awarded $25 million in state grants and loans. As soon as I read that, I thought of the boy who was sent to PA child care detention facility for allegedly throwing a stake at his mother's boyfriend. I thought of his father, who called every politician he could think of in this state to get his kid out of that facility. I thought of the call he made to Governor Ed Rendell. Mike Conahan also had a friend, a guy named Robert Powell. Powell was a wealthy and well-positioned, high-profile attorney from Hazleton, Pennsylvania. That's Conahan's hometown, where he served as magistrate for 16 years. Powell was looking for an investment opportunity. He had money. Rob Merkel had resources, construction crews, the ability to quickly and easily get building permits, and he too had money. Merkel and Powell were the perfect pair to finance and build a private detention facility. For about two years, Conahan and Shivarella's proposal for this new facility was denied by the Luzerne County Commissioners. That is until the county elected a new president judge, Mike Conahan. Once he was president judge, he approved the budget and construction of the new private facility. According to an investigation conducted by the federal government, Mike Conahan signed a placement agreement with Robert Merkel from PA Child Care Detention Facilities. That agreement guaranteed annual payments of $1.3 million and an assurance that the 48 bunks in the new detention center would always be filled. 
Robert Maracle was going to be even richer as a result of the new juvenile detention facility in Pittston, Pennsylvania. That's about 20 minutes north of Wilkes-Barre. And he wanted to share his good fortune with his good friend Mark Shivarella, who helped him get this deal. Maracle offered Shivarella a finder's fee of close to $1 million for finding him this project. Since Judge Mike Conahan was such an integral part of the process, and being president judge, outranking everyone else who said no to the new private facility, he too got a portion of that finder's fee. This money was never reported as revenue, and it was laundered through numerous businesses owned by Conahan in an effort to hide it from the IRS. All they had to do was keep kids moving through PA Child Care Center. That was Shivarella's job. And it wasn't just one center. It was two, because the center in Pittston only had 48 beds that would never secure enough payments from the state to foot the bill for these centers and line people's pockets. So Robert Powell, Robert Maracle, Judge Mark Shivarella, and Judge Mike Conahan worked together to open a second facility. This one was out on the western side of the state and had over 90 beds. Judge Shivarella's excessive sentencing didn't start with these new facilities. From day one, he was anti-kid and anti-family. He claimed it was what the community wanted, with zero-tolerance policies popping up in every school district all over the country after Columbine. But what warrants zero-tolerance? If a kid disrespects his parent and curses at him or her, does that child deserve to be thrown in a juvenile detention facility for six months? What about a teenager with a mental health disorder that renders it difficult for him to make sound decisions? Should he, at 13 years old, be sent to a wilderness camp because of one offense of underage drinking? People knew about Mark Shivarella's disdain for the youth of Luzerne County years before the PA Child Care Centers opened in early 2003. Judge Shivarella detained children at a rate that was more than twice the rate of juvenile detention in the state of Pennsylvania. According to an investigation conducted by the New York Times, Shivarella's own rate of detention, which was already much higher than any other juvenile judge in the state, doubled between 2001 and 2002, the same time he and Judge Conahan worked with Robert Powell and Robert Maracle to get approval for a new private for-profit detention center. Shivarella needed to prove he could keep enough kids flowing in through the door of his courtroom and out through the door in handcuffs and shackles straight into a bus that took them to prison. So where did these kids go before the PA child care facility opened in 2003? They went to detention centers all over the state. It was so easy for Shivarella to sentence these kids because more often than not, they had no legal representation. In both the documentary film and the book Kids for Cash, as well as stories in the Wilkes-Barre Times Leader, the Wilkes-Barre Citizen's Voice, There are countless stories of parents being told by police from towns in Luzerne County, if you get an attorney, it will make things worse and your kids will have a harsher punishment. Families entered the courthouse and before they even set foot inside the juvenile courtroom, they were given a form to sign waiving their rights to counsel. No one had a conversation with them about what that meant. No one explained they absolutely could have an attorney present. In some cases, some parents weren't even sure what they were signing. They were told to behave and be quiet, and things would go better for their kids. And I said, man, did you have, like, a lawyer? And she was like, no, nobody has lawyers. 
And I was like, but haven't you seen Law and Order? Like, everybody has lawyers. Like, you're supposed to have a lawyer. Like, that's what, if you don't have a lawyer, you get one assigned to you. Like, isn't that the, and she was like, I guess it doesn't work that way for kids. I'm sure some of you are asking yourself, how the hell could a parent set foot in front of a judge without an attorney for their child? I think it's a fair question. Even if you've never been in court yourself, if you've never had to appear before a judge, we all watch enough episodes of Law & Order or SVU or maybe you listen to crime podcasts. You don't open your mouth without an attorney. But in this community, this old and in some cases somewhat depressed community, Many of the families appearing in Judge Chivarella's courtroom were near or below poverty level. They may not have realized they could have secured a public defender at no cost. And the court didn't tell them that. Judge Chivarella didn't start the hearing by saying, Mr. or Mrs. Parent, are you aware your child has the right to an attorney? You can get a public defender free of charge. In fact, their office is practically across the hall. These families were instead told not to get a lawyer. They were told bringing lawyers into the mix will get your kids a harsher sentence. If you show up without an attorney, everything will be easier and your kid will be home with a slap on the wrist. But in reality, kids were being slapped on the wrist with handcuffs. You got off the elevator and they were there. Do you have a lawyer? No, we were told we don't need one. Okay, sign. And that was it. Certainly, the federal investigation does make it look like he knew exactly what he was doing, that he was able to negotiate with private individuals and private providers to line his own pockets. I was 15. It was a parody page about my vice principal. At which point, the officer started shouting, I heard her, she confessed, I'm coming down there, I'm arresting her. Star wrestler, I mean, the scouts were all uh, looking at him. Many opportunities for scholarships. Whoa, you're not speaking to my daughter without an attorney. At least give me time to get an attorney. Juvenile court isn't until Tuesday, so for the weekend, he had to stay in, in jail. They just grab him like he's some kind of hard criminal, like he's a murderer, and rip him away. There's nothing you could do. The guy said, grabbed my arm and said, come this way, and he just put the handcuffs and shackles on. That was it. You know, in his best interest, just to get him a little slap on the wrist, wise him up, scare him straight. He's a great kid. He has a great future ahead of him. And, yep, nothing you have to worry about. We don't need a lawyer. The same, same story. This case, you know, obviously illustrates the harm that comes from allowing people to make money by jailing people. Never in my wildest dreams would I think these people that are supposed to have your child's interests at best at heart. In 30 seconds, he was cuffed and shackled and taken away. After everything that happened in Chivarella's courtroom came to life, the Pennsylvania Interbranch on Juvenile Justice met to determine what measures they could take to ensure these events never happened again anywhere in the state of Pennsylvania. They were not investigating allegations. They merely pulled together attorneys, judges, legislators from all over the state in an effort to understand what happened, why it happened, and what they could do to prevent it in the future. Basil Russin was the chief public defender in Luzerne County. He was the head of the public defender's office. In the documentary Cash for Kids, Russin told filmmakers he and his office knew there were kids in Chivarella's courtroom without an attorney. And they made the assumption if they didn't have an attorney, they must have waived their rights. 
He specifically said they assumed there were proper waivers in place. Sure, there were waivers. Waivers that were signed after so many families were strong-armed by police into not getting an attorney. Basil Russin also said he believed it didn't make a difference whether a lawyer was present or not. Everyone got sent away. When Chief Public Defender Basil Russin appeared before the commission, he was asked by a member of the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office why was it okay to use zero-tolerance policies in defense of child placement, in defense of sending away so many kids. Russin's response pointed the finger at school districts in Luzerne County. It's zero tolerance that these kids are being placed. Because everybody loved it. The schools absolutely loved it. They got rid of every bad kid in their school. When I was in school, if you threw a spitball, maybe you went to the principal's office and sat for a couple periods. The last couple years, if you threw a spitball, they got the police, and you ended up in juvenile court and get sent away. So the public defender's office knew most kids in Chivarella's courtroom did not have an attorney. Police knew. The school districts knew they were the ones that sent them there. And no one did anything about it. They all looked the other way. In 1999, Marsha Levick and Robert Schwartz, co-founders of the Juvenile Law Center of Philadelphia, which advocates for rights, dignity, equity, and opportunity for youth in the child welfare and justice systems, were contacted by a parent in Luzerne County about Judge Mark Shivarella. Her 12-year-old son appeared before the judge without an attorney because their attorney was unavailable on the date of the hearing. Rather than get a public defender whom had no connection with this family, this woman told the judge their attorney wasn't available and she asked for a continuance, which meant rescheduling the hearing. According to an investigation conducted by the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court, Judge Shivarella denied the mother's request and immediately sent her 12-year-old son to a juvenile detention facility. The state superior court got involved because of the Juvenile Law Center in Philadelphia. The court ruled Judge Civarella violated this young man's constitutional rights, and they overturned his delinquent adjudication. That's the juvenile version of guilty. And the 12-year-old boy was released from the juvenile detention facility. In an interview about that particular case, Judge Mark Civarella said, I'll never do it again. They obviously have a right to a lawyer. And even if they come in and tell me they don't want a lawyer, they're going to have one. I never denied a kid a right to an attorney. I should say that. Once I did. But from that point on, if you came into my courtroom and you wanted a lawyer, you got a continuance. That's why we had that written waiver. Because you can waive that right. You would read it, you would sign it. You come into court and ask you if you signed it. Yes. Did you understand it? Yes. Okay. Thank you. And we proceed with the hearing. It wasn't to trick somebody into you know, pleading guilty. You weren't guilty. You weren't guilty. Your constitutional rights are not absolute. You can waive any one of those rights. The question becomes, when you waive it, did you make a knowing and voluntary waiver? Yeah, that was an act. Shivarella went right back to pushing waivers on parents, spending two minutes or less on their children's hearings, and sending as many kids as he could to Pennsylvania juvenile detention centers. Between the book and the film, Kids for Cash, there are dozens and dozens of stories about children sentenced to juvenile detention center for what we would consider kids being bratty or pushing boundaries, whether it's at home or at school. One of the earliest residents of the Pennsylvania Child Care Detention Center in Pittston was an 11-year-old boy who got mad that his mom wouldn't let him go play basketball with his friends. 
so he went out anyway. When he came home from playing basketball, he found his house was locked. His mom locked him out. In her words, she did that to teach him a lesson. Well, when the little boy couldn't get in his house, he called the police. And when the police arrived, even though the mother explained why they were in this situation, the officer encouraged her to have her son cited for harassment because he argued with her. This little boy's mother agreed, but she was worried she'd have to pay a fine for the citation. The police officer told her there won't be any financial charges. So she filed a harassment citation against her 11-year-old son. Of course there was a fine. He was a minor, and so she had to pay the fine for her minor child. And she refused because she claimed the police officer told her there wouldn't be any fines. This woman and her 11-year-old son appeared in Mark Chivarella's juvenile court in Luzerne County. Since the little boy didn't have the nearly $500 it cost to cover his fine, the judge remanded him to a wilderness camp in another part of Pennsylvania. And there he stayed until his mother could pay his fines. That was another one of Chivarella's schemes, special fines. Parents were assessed fines based on their children's crimes. They were assessed charges for their children's placement in detention facilities. So the state was paying rent to PA child care centers. The state was also paying a budget for the operation of those centers. And somehow the parents were also charged for the care and keeping of their children, at least for a period of time, in these centers. Parents had their wages garnished to pay these fees. Parents on disability had their disability payments reduced by the state, and the difference was then used to cover these fees or fines. And if you couldn't pay, your kid would spend even more time incarcerated until you could. That is like something out of the Salem witch trials, because when the witch trials ended, anyone who was in jail could not get out of jail until they paid their jail taxes. And if you were accused of witchcraft, you lost all property. So you had nothing of any value that you could use to pay your taxes. I swear to God, it's the same fucking thing. The money flowing into these detention centers was ridiculous. They got $1.3 million in rent each year, plus about $10 million in maintenance costs. The state conducted an audit of PA child care centers and showed not only were these centers overbilling the county, there were over $2 million in interest-free loans granted to businesses that were either owned by or associated with the LLC that ran the PA child care detention centers. Between July 2007 and June 2008, over a half million dollars had been paid to cover administrative fees, but the auditors couldn't determine what those administrative services were. Close to $70,000 was paid during that year to cover expenses for a golf outing. There were thousands of dollars spent on limo rides, money spent refueling Robert Powell's jet, his private personal jet. Yet these detention care centers couldn't pay their bills. The electricity had been turned off on more than one occasion for failure to pay. It was so glaringly obvious Chivarella funneled kids through these centers for kickbacks, yet it took years to put an end to it. And over the course of his tenure as a juvenile judge between 1996 and 2009, Thousands of children were incarcerated without representation. Hundreds, if not even a thousand of these kids, struggled with their experiences long after being released. Some spent weeks or months in a detention facility, and others spent years, sometimes not at one facility, but getting out and being put right back in or moved from one facility to another. They lost their childhood. They lost years in junior high and high school, no prom 
No birthdays with friends, no holidays with family, no high school diploma, no football games, no fucking future. Depression, anxiety, PTSD, these kids have suffered in ways the state probably still doesn't yet understand. So many of these kids are now in their 20s and 30s, and they still struggle with mental health disorders as a result of incarceration at the hands of Judge Mark Shivarella. So how did he get caught? Who else got caught? How did the state put a stop to this kids for cash scheme? And where is Mark Shivarella today? We'll talk about that and more in part two of this episode. 